Excellent. It is great to see you all this morning. Welcome to uh, this third week in our series of One Verse Wonders. In this series, if you haven't caught up with us recently, we are doing something a little bit different to usual. By picking out and mining the riches of a single verse from God's Word each week. In part, just to remind us of the sheer richness of the Bible and of every sentence God gives us in it. And in part, to draw our attention to and spend more time dwelling on some particularly precious verses. The verse that we're going to mine the riches of this morning is Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. And the title of this morning's message is Secure in the Goodness of God. So please turn in your Bible to the book of Nahum. There is no shame if you have to look at the contents page to find out where Nahum is. Somewhere it's hidden within the Minor Prophets. Nahum 1, verse 7. Now, whether you're here in person this morning or you're sitting at home watching along, I hope that you're sitting comfortably. And I don't say that because we're in for a rough ride or anything, but because we all appreciate being comfortable, don't we? We all appreciate comfort. We certainly appreciate comfort when life is going well. The comfort of good food, of warm weather, of vibrant friendships, of hobbies and holidays and so much more. There are so many good everyday comforts that God gives to us that we deeply enjoy and appreciate. But the comforts I think we value even more, the comforts that are in fact most precious and prized by us, are the ones that come alongside us to help us when life is not going well at all. The best and sweetest comforts are not the icing on the cake ones, but the life ring in the storm ones given to us to keep our heads above water when we're in the midst of life's great trials and storms. The book of Nahum is all about that kind of precious, life-saving comfort. In fact, its author's name, Nahum, literally means comfort. It doesn't get more comforting than that, that God would send a prophet to his people whose very name is comfort. And it's urgent, intense And life-saving comfort is precisely what was needed uh, for the hearers of Nahum's message. At this point in Old Testament history, God's people in the southern kingdom of Judah had been suffering under the, the Assyrian Empire for nearly 100 years. Assyria was at that time the most powerful nation on earth. They were proud and strong and arrogant, and they had plundered and oppressed and enslaved their enemies. And they had by now all but enslaved what was left of God's people in Judah. And so God sends Nahum both to pronounce his judgment on Assyria and to deliver words of comfort and hope to his people in Judah who feel so very troubled and afraid. And maybe you're here this morning and you can relate to the people of Judah. There may not be an enemy nation gathering at your gates, but you might be knee-deep in your own trials and troubles right now, whether big or small. Maybe they've brought you here this morning feeling troubled, wearied, and afraid. And if that is in any way a description of you this morning, God has a word of comfort to give to you today. One of the brightest rays of comfort, in fact, to be found in the whole book of Nahum. And it is these words right here in chapter 1, verse 7. Let me read them to you. 
The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Let me just read that again. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. One man who knew only too well what it was to face great trials and difficulties was the reformer Martin Luther. And he called this verse an outstanding statement overflowing with consolation and one that we should relate and apply to every single one of our trials and adversities so that we may learn to flee for refuge to this sweetness in the Lord. In truth, there is no one here this morning, no one listening this morning, who is not experiencing some kind of trial or adversity, even if it's just a small one at present. And therefore, there is no one here this morning to whom the Lord doesn't want to minister his comfort to through this verse. This verse is for you, and this verse is for me. And there are three things in particular for us to explore here as we draw out its full measure of comfort today. First of all, this verse tells us something about God himself, that the Lord is good. Second, it tells us something about what God is to us, that the Lord protects. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. And thirdly and finally, we'll see who we are to God. We'll see that the Lord knows. He knows those who take refuge in him. So the Lord is good. The Lord protects The Lord knows. Those are our three headings for this morning. First of all then, the Lord is good. There is a great lie at large in the world today, and uh, I'm sure that you've heard it. I'm sure that you're familiar with it. It is the deadliest kind of fake news ever to have been spread. I'm referring, of course, to the lie of all lies, that God is not altogether good. Now, this is not a new lie, of course. It is, in fact, the original lie, the very first lie that ever was told, the lie that the serpent cunningly whispered into the ears of Adam and Eve in order to cast doubt in their minds about the absolute goodness of God. Ever since that day, ever since they bought into that terrible deception, it has plagued the hearts and minds of every human being. It's a lie that without a doubt surfaces in our own hearts every single day in a multitude of different ways, plaguing us and poisoning us and tempting us to despair. And it simply is not true. The Lord is good, writes the prophet Nahum. He is altogether good. No conditional statements, no hidden clauses, no small print. The Lord is good through and through. And every single page of the Bible confirms it and celebrates his goodness. So let's ask the question, what does the Bible tell us about God's unadulterated goodness? First of all, the Bible tells us that God is inherently good. God's goodness is a part of his very essence. It's not something that he puts off and puts on as it suits him, like we might be inclined to put on a certain attribute to impress a certain person. His goodness is a fundamental part of who he is. It is his very nature to be utterly and inexhaustibly good. 
Secondly, God's goodness overflows. God does not keep his goodness to himself. His goodness radiates out from him like light and heat from the sun. The Bible tells us God is a fountain of goodness. His goodness continually bursts forth, first within the Godhead, back and forth between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and then outward, overflowing to his creation and especially to the people he has made. It's no surprise then that the world that he made in the very beginning was very, very good. Nor is it surprising that in his overflowing goodness, he should want to redeem and restore his creation once we in our sin had gone astray. God is inherently good. God's goodness overflows. The Bible also tells us that God is the source of all goodness. Apart from God, there, there would be no goodness in the world. Goodness cannot exist without God. And so every good thing that we do find in the world is ultimately put there by him. Every good and perfect gift is from above. James chapter 1 verse 17. They're like sparks shooting forth in all directions from the blazing fire of God's goodness. Now one important implication of this, of course, is that if we want to truly enjoy that which is good, to enjoy the good life, we need to seek it, not in worldly riches, in fame and fortune, in luxuries or self-sufficiency. We need to go to the source of all goodness. We need to find our good life in the good God. What this also means is that if we really have him, though we might one day lose all else, our health, our homes, our jobs, our reputations, our very lives, we would still have every good in him. God is inherently good. God's goodness overflows. God is the source of all goodness. And fourthly, the Bible tells us, God is good in all his ways. Just like the letters in a stick of rock, the Lord's goodness runs right through him from end to end. Every word, every action, every command, every promise, every facet of his character is stamped right through with his goodness. Meaning, he is good when he gives life and good when he takes it away. Job 1.21 He is equally good when he punishes sin as when he chooses to pardon and forgive sin. He is good in all his blessings and good in all his judgments. He is good in all our comforts and good in all our trials. He is unchangeably and perfectly good at all times, in all things and in all circumstances. There is no shadow of turning in him. He is good in all his ways and good in all his being. The Lord is good. And in this, Nahum wants his listeners to find great comfort. Great comfort. But here's the thing. God's unfailing goodness is meant to be a source of great comfort to us in our trials. But ask yourself, when are you most tempted to doubt God's goodness? In the midst of trials and difficulties. When are we most tempted to doubt that God is good? In the midst of trials and difficulties. And the bigger the trials and difficulties, the greater the fear inside us grows that perhaps God is not altogether good. Or that if he is, perhaps his goodness has deserted us 
and been removed far from us. Which is why Nahum doesn't just cease with those words, the Lord is good. He doesn't stop with his comfort there. In fact, what he does next is profoundly helpful as he hones in on those very times and circumstances when we are most tempted to doubt God's goodness. He wants to show us how God manifests his goodness to us right in the middle of our trials. The Lord is good, yes he is, and when his goodness meets with our trials, Nahum tells us, the Lord in his goodness protects us. That's our second heading for this morning, the Lord protects. Verse 7 again, God is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Yes, the Lord is good to his people at all times, in all circumstances, but especially in the day of trouble. Because in the day of trouble, the Lord is a stronghold for his people. Think again about those times, and maybe for you, one of those times is today, when your life seems overrun with difficulties, or your heart is heavy with sorrow, or your body is distracted by pain, where do you picture God is on your most difficult of days? If we're honest, sometimes, not always, but sometimes we'd say, on those days he feels distant. He's aloof. I don't know where God is when I'm hurting. It seems like he's taken himself and his goodness far, far away. That's what our fears and our feelings sometimes tell us. But what's the reality? What's really true? Where is God and where is his goodness towards us on those darkest of all days? God replies, I am your stronghold in the day of trouble. When trouble comes, I am your fortress, your castle, your tower of refuge and strength. I encompass you, protect you, surround you, so that no harm can possibly come to you. The Lord is the never-failing protector of his people. In the day of trouble, he holds us so safe and so secure that there is nothing for us to fear. Psalm 27 verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When we find ourselves in trouble, God wants us to know he hasn't abandoned us or distanced himself from us. Our troubles are not a sign that his goodness has departed from us. On the contrary, he is our very present help in times of trouble. He's always present with us, yes, but he is very present even more sweetly present with us in our troubles. In every trial, he draws very near to wrap his arms of protection and goodness around us so that we could not be more secure. Therefore, Psalm 46 continues, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, God is in the midst of us. We shall not be moved. God will help us when morning dawns. The Lord of hosts is with us. 
The God of Jacob is our fortress. When help is needed, God rides forth in his goodness to be our fortress and strength. And though there have been many man-made fortresses down the ages whose walls seem so impregnable and so secure to those who sheltered within them, and yet in the end, every man-made stronghold will fall. But our stronghold will never fall. Its walls will never be breached because it's not been made by human hands. It's not been formed from mere bricks and mortar. Our stronghold is the Lord himself. He himself is the place of safety where he will shelter us in every day of trouble, even on the ultimate day of trouble. I'm referring now, of course, to the day of judgment. We've all experienced days of trouble, maybe many days of trouble, but the worst day any person could ever face is that final day of trouble. That day which Nahum has promised would come even sooner for wicked Assyria is a day which Jesus then himself promised would one day come upon all peoples and all nations for their sin and rebellion against God. That final day of judgment is still approaching for you and I and for all of the nations of the earth. And for those without a stronghold to take refuge in on that day, that day will be the most devastating day of all. All other troubles will pale into insignificance compared to that great day of trouble. So let me ask you, how will God's goodness be manifested to you on that day? On that day of judgment? If on that day you have not already repented and run to him for rescue, his absolute goodness will be displayed in your condemnation. And I say that with the heaviest heart, but it's the truth. God's condemnation of you on that day will be the perfect expression of his goodness and justice due to you for your sin. But if, when that day comes, you have already sought refuge in Christ, if God in Christ is your stronghold on that day, then his unfailing goodness will be seen and proven in your absolute safety and salvation. Jesus Christ is the ultimate stronghold and shelter for his people. He is our fortress, our strong tower, given to us by God in his infinite goodness, so that all who stand beneath his cross are utterly protected, protected and preserved completely on the final day of trouble. Just think about that for a moment. Think about the beauty of our refuge being in Christ and his cross. The very place where God's judgment has already been most intensely poured out on sin becomes our stronghold and the place of our deliverance. So that God is inviting us not so much to run away from his wrath as run to the place where his wrath has already been most intensely poured out on him who died in our place. And to slightly adapt the words of Romans 8, if he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, that we might have a stronghold to stand in on the day of greatest trouble, 
How will he not also with him graciously give us all things to guard us and protect us and do good to us here, in, here and now in all of our lesser troubles? The Lord is good. In his goodness, the Lord protects us now and forever. And finally, in his goodness, Nahum tells us the Lord knows. The Lord knows those who take refuge in him. What does, so what does Nahum mean here when he says the Lord knows? Is he just reminding us that God is omniscient, that he's all-knowing? Because, of course, God does literally know everything about everything. But no, it's not just that general kind of knowing that Nahum is talking about here. No, still intent on providing the deepest possible comfort to God's troubled people, he turns their attention, he turns our attention to the very special way in which God knows each and every one of his people. It's a knowing that involves, firstly, intimate acquaintance. Intimate acquaintance. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows every one of his people intimately. Every outward action, every innermost thought, every want, every fear, every feeling, every word before we even speak it. Spurgeon writes, your father is looking at you, beloved. He's looking at you with as intent a gaze as if there were nobody else in the world but you. Think how he would know you if in the whole universe there were nothing but God and you. Just in that way he knows you. He delights to know all about you. For he made you and he remade you. You are a plant of his planting. He has watched over you and he has said, I will water it every moment. Lest any hurt it, I will keep it night and day. It is with the most intimate and intense knowledge that the Lord knows them that trust in him. And the Lord is also intimately acquainted with our afflictions. Psalm 31 verse 7 says, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. Maybe your soul is distressed this morning and you think no one else sees or really understands what you're experiencing. But God sees. God knows. He understands your pain. He knows all your afflictions. He knows better than you know yourself. He is intimately acquainted with you. And that intimate knowledge of you is also full of tender care. That's the second thing this God's knowing of us encompasses, tender care. His knowledge of us is not mere head knowledge, not a mere list of facts and figures. Psalm 103 verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Do you hear there how God's intimate knowledge of our fragility and weakness draws out from him, not sternness, 
Not disappointment, not irritation, not frustration, but great fatherly compassion, tender care. He cares for you, Spurgeon says, with an intense, loving, affectionate, earnest care, wishing to do you good, to make you better, and to turn everything to your benefit. If you have sought refuge in God, if you're his child this morning, then you can rest safe in the knowledge every moment of every day that God knows everything about you and he cares for you. He knows you with intimate acquaintance. He knows you with tender care. And thirdly, and most amazingly of all, he knows you with full acceptance. Now this, we might understandably say, hang on. Hang on a minute. If he knows me like I know myself, if he knows me even better than I know myself, then he knows the full extent of my sin. Not just my past sins, but my present sins, even my future sins. He knows every dark thought I have had, every ungodly word I speak, and every wicked act I commit. He sees and knows the very worst of me. How can he see all of that within me? And with that knowledge, still accept and embrace and love me. And the answer is because he doesn't accept you on that basis at all. He doesn't accept you because of anything good he sees in you. He doesn't, he doesn't accept those who think they have anything to offer him. But you see here in Nahum chapter 1 verse 7, who it is that in his unbelievable goodness he sees, knows and accepts so completely. It is those who take refuge in him. He knows those who trust in him. And to those who trust in his mercy, to those who take refuge in his son, to them God will be an everlasting stronghold of love and goodness and kindness and protection in every day of trouble. And so we can entrust literally everything to him. We can trust him with our sufferings, we can trust him with our sorrows, we can trust him with our sins. There is nothing we need hold back from him. Nothing we cannot entrust to the God who knows us so perfectly in this way. He knows our prayers, he knows our tears, he knows our sighs and sorrows. He knows we are not what we want to be. He knows and he cares and he graciously accepts all those who simply ask to take refuge in him. And so the question is this morning, will you take refuge in him? First of all, if you're not yet a Christian, will you respond to him this morning by turning to Jesus and seeking refuge in him? There is no other refuge like him in all the world. No one so strong and secure, so welcoming and all-embracing to those who come empty to find forgiveness and life in him. If you've never come to him for refuge before, this verse is God's invitation to you this morning. Turn to him in your heart today and take refuge in him. And what about for those of us who've already run to him for rescue long, long ago before this morning? What is God's invitation to us, his children, this morning? It is simply this. Keep taking refuge in him. The Hebrew word here for take refuge includes the idea of continual activity. He knows those who keep taking refuge in him. 
The good Lord who protects us and knows us wants us to run to him again and again as our refuge in the face of every difficulty and distress. To relate and apply this verse to our every trial. And there is no situation in which we shouldn't go to him for refuge. No circumstance in which we cannot find safety in him. And even when he does not quickly remove the trial itself, he will preserve us from all harm and give us his grace and his peace as we shelter securely beneath the shadow of his wings. Let's pray.